welcome to episode two of Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam McCachron, joined by my pals Nick Richard and Keith Whipple, recording here on a, a Sunday night, the end of another long day of football. Keith, uh, the Bears, how are we feeling? Dropped one in overtime. Uh, I feel like it's going to be a downhill slide, my friend. I don't know about you. They're the worst 5-3 and three team in the history of the <laughs> NFL. And prior to this game, they were the worst 5-2 and two team in the history of the NFL. I don't know. They're, I, I, I hate how frustrating the offense is solely because of the fact that every once in a while Foles will put together a drive that just looks completely effortless and then he comes out and loses track of the game clock and takes a delay game and then gets sacked makes absolutely no sense but we're here and we're talking about the Leafs not the Bears because I don't want to talk about the Bears (laughs) as much as it feels like the same thing sometimes yeah um Nick, your team managed to pull out a win today. How are the Bills looking? Oh, well, it wasn't uh, pretty, much like the rest of their wins and I guess their losses too so far this season. But beating the Patriots is a very rare occurrence over the last couple of decades. So, uh, yeah, hard, hard to beat that on a Sunday when the Bills come out with a win against New England. Yeah, I know that Josh Allen's fantasy performance was not pretty for sure. <laughs> But uh, a win is a win, although I, I didn't get any of those, I don't think, in fantasy this week. Um, but let's talk Leafs. A uh, little bit of action since the last time we, uh, we were here. Uh, you know, this is only episode two, but, um, you know, we've got a little bit of uh, further roster construction stuff to, to get into with uh, a few guys being re-signed. The, you know, lead item there being Travis Dermott uh, getting a deal done almost two weeks ago now. Um, came in just a little over his qualifying offer. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts? I know you're a big Dermot guy. Um, how, how do you feel about uh, this this one getting done? I was happy to see the the Travis Dermot deal get done. Uh, it's only ten thousand dollars more than his salary was last year. Uh, it's hard to complain about uh, such a small raise for for a player like him. Uh, we we talked a little bit about it last week uh, with the Mikheyev signing in comparison to what the team got out of Kapanen and Janssen on their deals and needing to get some excess value out of some of these contracts. And uh, I, I think uh, Dermot at 874000 for the year definitely has the potential to be one of those guys who who provides some excess value on that salary. Uh, I think uh, most of us, even on a one-year deal, we probably had him pegged between a million dollars or one and a half even. So uh, if not that he had a lot of options, but he clearly wanted to be here. And I, I think uh, it's a good chance for him to show the organization that he's worth more. It's a, it's definitely a big year coming up for Dermot. Yeah, I definitely had him around one, one and a half as well when we were putting together those kind of roster mock-ups on Cap Friendly. Um, but I think the, the the thing with Dermot, like, I think a lot of the vitriol that comes from the fan base towards him because it seemed to kind of sour on him. But I think a lot of that came from the fact that we were watching him play like top pair minutes in the playoffs. Yeah, alongside you know, Justin as an inexperienced Hall, player. Was, alongside Justin Hall, we're now we're now looking at at you know Travis Dermott making eight hundred seventy five grand in a, a defensive core that has Muzzin, Riley, and T.J. Brody, and even Zach Bogosian and, and Miko Lettinen. Like we're we're not asking him to carry the load as much. I mean, the injuries could happen, but. You know, at least to start the year, at least for the bulk of what the season's going to look like, having a guy like that at under 900 grand 
when you're not asking him to, to, to go out and shut down, you know, other team's best players, I think what you're talking about with excess value, I think that you know, we're on track for that. No, and yeah, it's de- it's definitely still valuable even if he doesn't steal a job in the top four at any point this season. Like if he's just a, a really good third pair defenseman, like he's been to this point in his career, for that price, it's still really good value. So, and you still need good defensemen on your third pair as well. I believe Dermott's capable of more than that. But but even if if that's his role for the year he's very likely to outplay that salary. Yeah, and, and, you know, the role is kind of the big question coming into this one. Where do you see him slotting in? Like, is he in the opening night lineup? Because there's some, it seems to be some talk that maybe that's not going to be the case, but it, it, it seems hard to, you know, imagine um, him not having a spot on this blue line. Uh, he hasn't maybe been everything you, you hoped and projected him to be over the last couple of years, but it still feels like he's a quality NHL defenseman, right? 100%. Yeah, I think there's probably only three sure things on the Toronto blue line right now. And that's Morgan Riley, TJ Brody and Jake Muzzin are going to be in the top four in some, in some composition. And Justin Hall probably has the inside track on the other job in the top four. But even that, I think it's still wide open. And, you know, you've got Dermot, Lettinen, Hall, Bogosian. That's not even considering uh, Rasmus Sandin. There's a lot up in the air for this defensive core right now and how it's all going to shake out, how it's going to look on opening night. I think that um, Dermot's probably got a job to lose, but the organization also is going to want to get a look at Lettinen, I'm sure, He's uh, he's been promised some level of opportunity once he comes over here, and, and his play warrants it in the KHL. I mean, he's the best defenseman over there. He won the award for best defenseman in the KHL last season. It, that guy's going to get games right off the bat with the Leafs. That I don't think he's going to be the extra guy. Uh, Dermot is probably in a fight with uh, with Zach Bogosian. And Justin Hall on the on the right side to see how that's going to shake out right now. Yeah, and, and I mean it's it's a nice problem to have, and it's a problem the Leafs haven't really had to worry about for a long time, right? Like having too many NHL defensemen. Um, <laughs> you know, depth is important in the league, obviously. And yeah, they used eleven uh, defensemen know, you, last year. Yeah. And, you know, you, you need to have guys who can step in and play up and down the lineup. And, and you know, I'm, I'm hesitant any time that, you know, you, you have a couple of extra guys, extra in, you know, like air quotes, because, yeah. uh, you know, you, you don't want to just be peddling guys off as soon as you think, well, you know, this guy's a this guy's a number five, but we've got him slotted in as a number seven. Let's move him and get, you know, you, you don't want to get into that business because you're trying to win a cup ultimately. And you're going to need a deep blue line to, to make that happen if injuries come up or, or whatever, right? Just look at last year. Yeah. How quick did Martin Marinson end up on our second pair last year? Justin Hall being your shutdown guy. Yeah. And, and like you said before. With, without without Jake Muzzin beside him. Yeah. And we, we talked about that on the last episode a little bit too. But it's like you said with Dermot. Yeah. We got to see what he looked like in, in a in a higher role in the lineup, but it was alongside a guy who was already being propped up playing that role in the lineup by Jake Muzzin. So I don't know if that was like an accurate uh, assessment or, or if we were able to get an accurate assessment of Dermot's ability to play top four minutes like that, because when it, when everyone is healthy on the Leafs blue line, 
it's not going to be Travis Dermott and Justin Hall playing shutdown minutes. So that was out of necessity. And I I don't think that uh, they they didn't fare terribly. I I didn't think, but I don't, I also don't think it's completely fair to judge either of them from that situation. They didn't play bad, especially, I don't think if you looked at the numbers, like there weren't a ton of scoring chances, but it looked like they they were stick handling grenades for for most of the time. Just and I mean, you come down to their young guys and experienced guys playing in the you know a weird fucking pandemic version of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of weirdness going on there, and uh, yeah, they 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 weren't terrible, but they they certainly didn't steal anything. But again, that's not their role, and and we're not not gonna need them to do that, barring some pretty catastrophic injuries. Yeah, uh, Leafs also signed Joey Anderson to a three-year contract. Um, you know, he came over in the Andreas Janssen deal, and I, I think this is a guy who, you know, we're all a little excited to see, you know, what he can do. Not that we have big expectations for him by any means, but, um, you know, if, if he's a guy who can come in and, and, you know, be a physical presence on the fourth line while still being able to play, and doing so for like the the ticket that he just got, which is really low, uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand a year for the next three. Um, Nick, w- where do you stand on this uh, Anderson deal? I thought it was interesting just because, uh, like Dermot, uh, before he signed, his qualifying offer had uh, just expired. Uh, Anderson had a qualifying offer for around eight hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars, so almost a hundred thousand dollars more than his AAV on the deal he signed. But he does get that added term and a little bit of security in a time where, you know, there isn't a lot of security for some guys in this business. And, you know, just look at the free agent pool and what's left over. So I I think uh, it was definitely interesting that Anderson took the term rather than the the most money he could have made this season. And... uh, He'll likely spend the year with the Marlies, maybe cycle in and out of the, the Leafs lineup, uh, depending on injuries and whether there's a taxi squad and a condensed schedule and all that. Um, but right now, he's on the outside looking in, I think. But he's another guy that th- there's excess value to be had there. If he's on your even on your fourth line next year, if he's contributing on your fourth line, and if he's Zach Hyman light. At seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I don't think you can go wrong. No, yeah, exactly. That's that's the guy I think everybody has initially like pegged him. I like Zach Hyman, young Zach Hyman. But I mean, yeah, he's he's again. This isn't somebody that we're probably going to see more than what twenty five games out of this year. So I think if that taxi squad is a thing, um, I think what we're probably going to see is some of the older guys get. A, you know a night off here or there and then that's when you're going to see Anderson and Boyd and, and maybe even Bear Banov like I again I have no idea where he slots in but I don't know if, if it's if you have the depth and if they're in a playoff position why why make Joe Thornton play 82 games uh, unless he wants to I guess but like there's you know there's some guys that are getting up there in the bottom six Spezza, whatever. I I think it makes sense to give these give, give these guys a, a spell. Most of the time last year, Spezza didn't play on the second half of back to backs. There's going to be an ultra condensed schedule. No matter how many games it is, we don't know if it's going to be 82 or 62 or 48. Whatever it's going to be, it, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be condensed. And you can't expect guys like Thornton and Spezza at their ages 
to to be playing night after night, you know, four games in seven days or three and five, they're not going to play every night. So th- these guys that you're talking about, like Anderson and Barabanov and um, even Engvall, who's probably on the outside looking in right now, all these guys are going to play games at some point. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be load management, quote unquote. So, yeah, I think. Well, look at a couple years ago with Marlowe. Like the wheels just fell off in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Big time. So learn from that and and don't don't run these guys into the ground. Um, Yeah. Load management was the was the word I was I was trying to remember (laughs) what they call what the Kawhi Kawhi deal was. Yeah. Yeah, The Kawhi Thornton. Yeah. Um, and, and you know that's that taxi squad point is key, right? Like, it's interesting to me um, to see how this is going to be run, and that's all hypothetical, right? So. Yeah, it, we, I mean, we don't know what it's what it's going to be like, but we know it's going to be a weird season, and, and we know that the Leafs have deep pockets, and you know, Kyle Dubas is a guy who tries to find the inefficiencies, tries to take advantage of the opportunities that um, you know being the head of the richest team in the league affords him, and yeah. you know, in a year where you're trying to win the cup and you know you're trying to figure out how do you get that deep playoff run and and make sure that everyone's ready to go when the time comes you know it feels like these moves are are all very much building towards you know that maximum flexibility that you can kind of build for yourself going into a season to give your kind of give your roster the most depth right yeah well we don't know like we said it's hypothetical if there's going to be a taxi squad or what the roster rules are going to be but one thing's clear, Kyle Dubas is definitely building this team as if there is going to be roster exemptions of some kind or a taxi squad. He's loading up on depth. He's not going to get caught shorthanded this season. Uh, there's depth all through the, the lineup at every position. They've got Arendell and uh, the return of Michael Hutchinson <laughs> uh, to the goaltending depth chart. So, I mean, and behind them, you've got the two kids. So, there's depth all through the lineup. Dubas has done a good job of making sure that he's not going to get caught shorthanded at any position, no matter what the season brings. Yeah, and I mean, it's um, you, you mentioned Hutchinson. That's what we're going to move on to next, not necessarily because we need to discuss Michael Hutchinson for any great length of time, but more, you, you know, the, the to continue that conversation on the flexibility and, uh, you know, specifically when it comes to goaltending, like I think that all three of us were probably, um, you know, to some degree expecting to see Freddie Anderson moved, um, you know, this offseason. And by all accounts, it looks like he's going to be their guy moving forward. But um, Dubas is really making sure that, uh, you know, the, the pipeline is well stocked behind him, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm all in on, I, or was all in on, on a tandem, right? Like I, I was ready to move on from Freddie and, and not, not necessarily because I, you know, reactionary because of the playoffs or anything like that. I just asset management. If you could get something for him without him walking for nothing and get out, go out and get one of those veteran goalies on the cheap and save a mill or two or a mill and a half in cap space and, and, and have your tandem with, with Jack Campbell. I think if you look around the league, there's, there's lots of, examples of, of that working and it's having success with having two goalies and I mean Jack Campbell's not I don't think your typical backup goalie in the sense that 
he's young, he has some pedigree, he's only ever pretty, you know, performed well. He's been stuck behind a good goaltender and now behind another good goaltender. So I, I think you kind of want to see what you have in him, but I think knowing that you can have a rested goaltender, knowing you could have the, the kind of ride the hot hand thing, I, 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 could, I saw that that could have been something that they, that they went towards. But now, I know Nick, you've alluded to this offline a couple times, but like, you know, you, it's Freddie or Bust right now, knowing that you're not probably going to have a tandem with, with Freddie and, and Jack, but I don't know. There were some, there were some questionable moments last season. There was definitely more than his share of questionable moments. Well, what's, what's that? Do you, do, you still have, do you still have that stat up of the goalies that played 50 games or whatever it was? Not to put you on the spot. But it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. It, long story short, Anderson's um, even strength save percentage among goalies that have uh, that had played, I think, at least uh, 500 minutes on the season. That's what it was. He he was he was outside the top 50 in the league. It, it's it wasn't good. He definitely had more than his fair share of moments last year that weren't pretty. Um, I, I was definitely on the 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 trade Freddie train this off season. Um, but I do understand why he's still here and why the Leafs are going to still go with him. Uh, but to your point that it's Anderson or bust, I, I don't necessarily believe that because uh, all so- signs point to the Leafs really believing in Campbell yeah. and thinking that he's, he's capable of being more than just uh, your traditional backup goaltender. I think he's definitely going to push Anderson for starts. And again, like condensed schedule, there's going to be a lot more back-to-backs probably. I think there's a really good chance that Campbell plays, I'd say, maybe even 40% of the games. So, Which again, I'm, I'm fine with knowing Freddie's performance in the playoffs and knowing that we've ridden him pretty hard you know, in those seasons going into those playoffs that I don't know. There's something to be said for fresh legs and and a hundred percent. And there's there's still a decision to be made with the goaltending. Like Anderson is still future, only yeah. signed for a year. I'm sure the org- if the organization does believe in Campbell and think that he's capable of being more than just a backup, they're going to have to find out to some extent this season. So he's definitely going to play his share of games. He's had such a strange career. You know, being a high first round draft pick, coming in with all this pedigree, not really getting his opportunity for one reason or another along the way. And now he's like approaching 30 years old and is finally being talked about as maybe a a tandem goaltender for the first time. It's just so strange to not really know what a guy like Campbell is at this point of his career. But yeah, the Leafs are definitely going to be looking to find out more about what he is this coming season just because they they do have decisions to make with their goaltending going forward yeah um you know this is a a season i think where um like you said you know that he's a question mark and obviously going in this is an all-in season uh even though they haven't won around yet they're trying (laughs) to win a cup going into this one um but there are a few you know storylines that have some big implications beyond just this season and i think that campbell is is you know maybe uh number one among those because you know maybe maybe that does become the guy moving forward at least to to bridge the gap uh to see if maybe some of those young guys in the system can can step up eventually but um i i think that he's going to be well, interesting. even if he can show that he can be half of the guy then that lends credence to the idea that the leafs could run a tandem rather than 
shelling out five plus million dollars for for one guy to take the bulk of the starts yeah i think you're dead on there there's absolutely there's there's nobody in the league that i'm would feel or that's available anyways or even could be maybe pried away by a trade that i'd be comfortable giving money in term to goalies just scare the shit out of me yeah well we talked about football a little bit like starting the show I've been saying this for a while. I think that goaltenders are kind of going the way of running backs in football where there's very few of them that you, that you want to commit money and term to build your team around. Yeah. You almost want to cycle through them. They're kind of interchangeable. A lot of the times there's very few elite ones and you know, you've got your Vasilevskis and you know, your Hellebucks and John Gibson's and what have you. But I think that the level of separation in the middle tier of NHL goaltenders is it's not great. And it's a coin flip. It, yeah. It, it, every year is a coin flip. I think when you have a, a guy like Anderson, sure, he's been kind of the model of consistency. Like if you just look at his save percentage numbers over his career prior to last season, but, but you still, you don't, you don't know at any point when it's going to fall off with a lot of these guys outside of the, the very elite. Yeah, totally. Um, wanted to talk a, a little bit about a guy who won't be on the roster this year, but uh, got high hopes for him moving forward, of course, and that's the most recent first-round pick, uh, Rodion Amirov. Uh, Amirov or Amirov? Am- Amirov. Going to defer to, to our our KHL correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the play-by-play is in – Russian and I don't understand any Russian and I've already <laughs> caught myself saying Amarov and Amirov so I'll probably continue to do both um yeah it's you just wait Nick until like you give it a few months and you're going to be saying you don't understand any Russian but all of a sudden Jesse's going to ask you a question some <laughs> night and you're just going to respond in full Russian it's just going to embed itself in I, your I brain. think I'm learning a couple of, of the like the the buzzwords, you know, like he shoots or st- stuff like that. You know, it's like oh, I've heard that phrase a couple of times already. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. It's already started. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a little bit frustrating trying to to watch Amarov just because of his uh, his usage. Uh, he's been used as the extra forward, the thirteenth forward, a lot of the time, or actually in the last, I think it's. The last three games now, he's uh, been the, the 13th forward and receiving very little ice time. Um, the game I watched the other day, he only played a single shift in the first period. It was a power play shift. He played a little bit more in the second period, and I, I thought he actually looked really good. He His team was kind of getting smothered a little bit to that point in the game. He uh, he came and joined the rush as like the, the late man, the trailer on the rush and got a, a nice little scoring chance. It didn't capitalize, but it, it seemed like from there, his team really picked it up. They went and they banged in a few goals in the span of a couple of minutes. And, uh, he, he I don't think he saw another shift the rest of the way through that period. He, he only finished the game with about seven minutes of ice time. And, uh, th- that's continued. I think he saw even less than that for total ice time in the, the two games since, so his opportunity hasn't really been there in uh, recent games, but like I said, I, I've liked his game when he is on the ice. He, he's a he's a fun guy to watch with the puck on his stick. He likes to carry the puck through the neutral zone. He's a really smooth skater. He's got his head up, scanning the play all the time. Uh, I'm really excited about him. I just wish that uh, he was getting a little more opportunity. 
but yeah, and and you've you I saw you say this on Twitter, and I think it's important. And and it's you know this isn't our nineteen year old first round draft pick that's the thirteenth forward in in the queue or something like that. Like this is the sec, this is the second best no, league in the world. The, the KHL is not a developmental league. They don't care. Like if he's not ready and he's not somebody <laughs> no, that's going to contribute to a win, they're not going to give him ice time to help the Leafs. Yeah, and especially if they already know that. The, the kid is bound for North America and isn't going to be a part of their organization long term. I'm sure that not to say that they would go out of their way to sewer him or screw over his development or anything, but they would probably become less invested in his long term development if they know he's not going to be part of their team for the long run. They'd be stupid to do that. Like he's not going to help their team next year. Then, you know, even if there's a guy that might be a little bit worse than him, that's younger that they could give that ice time to they're gonna do that yeah absolutely and i still think that uh, he's going to get more of an opportunity i'm looking forward to the the world juniors coming up i think he's gonna be a a really key part of the russian team there um along with another leafs prospect mikhail abramov should be on that team as well um but yeah i think amirov is going to get his chances with ufa and the other thing, if they do keep deploying him as the 13th forward and uh, giving him limited minutes, he could still be sent back down to the VHL just to you know maybe get some more ice time and then come back up to the KHL and continue. Like We've talked about maybe having Robertson just around the Leafs and practicing and what kind of benefit that would be for him just to be around the team and stuff like that. So the, I think there is still a, a benefit for Amirov to just to be with the, his uh, KHL team. Even if he's receiving limited minutes, he's still around the, the top level teams in, in Russia and getting experience around those kind of players and at, at that level. And yeah, it, he's going to get his chances. It, it'll come. Yeah. I, I'm excited to, to check him out a bit. Um, you know, obviously high hopes for him to come in and, and, you know, contribute something on an ELC at some point in the next couple of seasons here. Um, and excited that, you know, the some of those games are available on the zone, right? Like I, I had no idea. I, I allowed that to just uh, automatically renew on me this summer. So I'm glad I get to get some use out of it. <laughs> you're not, you're not, che- you're not checking in on the uh, Saturday morning cricket matches. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, okay guys, I think that, you know, we've, we've covered a lot of Leafs chat here and I think that we want to talk a bit more about the draft, uh, maybe on our next episode. And I was kind of thinking we do like a bit of a mailbag. So, um, you know, folks can send us any questions they have, whether it's draft related or Leafs related or whatever else we'd love to, to hear from you. Um, and ask you know, us whatever you want. Exactly. And I guess on that <laughs> note as well, like really happy with obviously the, the reception. We're pretty thrilled at like, uh, uh you know, some of the, the nice words we've heard from uh, episode one. So, um, we'd love to hear from you and, and, you know, we want to get the kind of the community side of this, uh, booted up. Um, you know, we're probably going to get a, a discord and a Patreon and all that stuff going in the, the weeks to come, but, uh, we'll, we'll start it off with a basic mailbag. How's that? Um, get get some of those prospect questions and Nick obviously you know you're you're doing prospect roundups for the Leafs Nation so you know it can be related to guys who were just drafted or, or uh, you know otherwise uh, in the system previously so um, you know whatever questions you got 
uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can uh, tweet us at lamenting leafs and uh, lamenting the leafs at gmail.com if you'd rather uh, just send an email off. Um, wanted to move on to you know some more generic hockey talk and uh, it wasn't a great week for the sport uh, guys I, I I don't think um, you know obviously everyone knows by now the story of Mitchell Miller the Arizona Coyotes uh, draft pick who uh, you know they've since renounced the pick um, but not before kind of bumbling about for uh, several days after a story came out um, detailing some severe like bullying doesn't even seem like the right word does it like bullying no like they didn't fucking know that before the draft come on and if they didn't they should be fired for incompetence i I don't want to say that it looks worse than the draft pick but like this coming like bumbling it the way they did and their their piss poor statement and and yeah you they knowingly drafted this kid nothing has changed other than the public finding out about it yeah. and now all of a sudden they they don't want anything to do with them it's just pathetic yeah and i mean the um you know the like you say the comments were weak um a lot of buck passing going on like i think it was bill armstrong yeah i was yeah I would, you know this <laughs> happened before i i took over the reins and oh by the way this happened four years ago when he was 14 they always love saying that one right like like it's uh, like like as if like that's a normal thing to do for yeah, a 14 a year kid. old. Yeah, it's still a psycho. Like, oh, yeah. Every 14 year old does yeah. that. So yeah. just psychopathic stuff. I think I, I think that like it's th- this has already all been said. So, you know, this this story is not necessarily new, but I think just the fact that even now, even through all of this, we still haven't heard of any kind of remorse, any kind of statement, other than the fact that he made a statement to all the teams. This news cycle is, is, is like I said, it's not new, so a lot of the stuff's already been said, but I just think it's it's kind of sad that that it took the, the kind of public outcry for them to do something about it. Yeah, and the, like to your point about lack of remorse, you go back and read about his sentencing and the, the judge saying yeah. something to the, to the effect of not feeling as if Miller had any remorse for what he did to Isaiah, but that he felt sorry for himself for what was happening to him because of it. Tells you what you need to know. Yeah, and that's come through, right? Like, that has come through in the response to this. Like, I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff that his sister has been putting on Twitter, too. Like, that's kind of getting down into the weeds, yeah. but um, it, it's... No, I haven't. Oh, man, she didn't even she didn't even go with, like, I have black friends. She went with, I dated a, I've dated a black guy. Which is just, oh, man. yeah, like, yeah, it, it, it oh. just again, like, you know, not it just basically holds up what the judge said, which is I think you're just you're you're upset that you this has hurt your circumstances more than anything rather than, you know, actually feeling for the, the family of this young man. His name is uh, Isaiah Meyer Crothers. We didn't mention that, but he's uh, uh, it, I mean, it's just been heartbreaking to see what, you know, uh, he, he and his family have gone through and, you know, the, the statements that they've been putting out like they're still going through like this, this continues continued after the ruling yeah, and ugh. now it's continuing in the community from other hockey families it sounds like so um you know it's it, it's tough and it's it's just an unfortunate another unfortunate situation in a sport where they keep trying to tell us hockey is for everyone and then you know they they uh, kind of give the cold shoulder to the the hockey diversity alliance when they want to partner up and you know the NHL just kind of want to, wants to keep beating its own drum on you know the way it's been going about things and the way they've been going about things has not been good enough and you know it manifests in something like this right so well it speaks to the culture like you said if there's uh, other people in the hockey community that are are now giving Isaiah and his family 
trouble over what's happening to Miller as a result of all this becoming more uh, publicly known. And like Miller's been renounced as he's had his rights renounced by the Coyotes. He's lost his spot on the UND hockey team. I mean, who cares? Like if it's at all possible, I've got less sympathy for that kid than, than he's got for Isaiah. I don't think that's possible, but if it is like, I don't know, man, screw that kid. Yeah. I I mean, the guy has, uh, uh, just, it's, it's been a, a, PR nightmare for the the Coyotes and uh, everyone involved with this because they just it it, it doesn't seem to be any um, you know acknowledgement of of wrongdoing here it's just it's like can can we kind of wash our hands of this and move on we've talked about it enough and that's all it is what a turnaround like how long was he in the organization two and a half weeks yeah like how do you fuck up that royally that in such a short time where like you didn't just you knew that that was going to be a potential fuck up before you made the pick yeah you're crossing your fingers for a couple of months hoping that that it it goes unnoticed or under the rug or something like that well it didn't and guess what yeah it's a pr nightmare but it's completely on them and and completely avoidable by just not taking him like they knew you know you're drafting a piece of shit human being and you, and, <laughs> yeah. and you just thought that he might be a little bit better of a hockey player than the guy that was, you know, that you could have taken it, which is ridiculous considering, you know, in today's day and age with the amount of information that's out there and how quickly information can travel, even if you were shitty enough to just be like, well, you know, we're going to take him and we're going to hope that nobody finds out like, fuck people, people are going to fucking find out and it's not going to take long, especially considering that it was known by every other team. Like, And it was known in the scouting world too. Like I I talked to some scouts that told me that there was upwards of a dozen or more teams that had this kid on their do not draft list because of these incidents and the fallout from them And, and just his history of, harassing this victim and i think the more troubling thing is that he was even on any lists at all like we don't know if there was more teams than arizona that that would have taken a swing on him at any point but the interesting thing is that was arizona's first pick of the draft they didn't have their their first or their second or or their third I th- they traded away the first, I think, this year, but they lost their first and the next year and a second this year or something like that because of uh, cheating at the draft combine or doing illegal <laughs> testing. You know what I mean? Like, Man, contract the franchise. Just oh, my goodness. Yeah, thanks for Austin, but peace, guys. We yeah. can't really <laughs> yeah. allow this to continue. Oh, um, I think that's the funny part of it, too, right? Like, the you know, this is obviously we're, we're into more of a hockey discussion about this now, but on the management side of things, like, you know, they, they didn't have their first three picks, and the calculus was apparently – like let's just take this little fucking monster because he's he's a little bit better than the other guys this is why he's slipping so like we don't get our first three picks and and now we're going to use our fourth on one that we're ultimately going to have to renounce Uh, like their american inefficiency was drafting this shithead yeah (laughs) yeah yeah not not the uh not exactly the uh money ball you're looking for oh man we've talked enough about mitchell miller um all right uh let's purge uh let's think happy thoughts um 
we want to move on to uh, talk about some women's hockey, which, you know, is something that we want to strive to do. And uh, there has been some exciting news in the last couple of weeks, starting with the Toronto Six. Um, they have uh, made some announcements in terms of building out their coaching staff, including the hiring of uh, Margaret Digit Murphy, who is a veteran head coach uh, from the Canadian Women's Hockey League before uh, they shut down. And uh, prior to that, the NCAA as well. So um, some uh, coaching news there from the Toronto franchise for the uh, coming season. So exciting stuff to see there. Yeah, it's exciting to see that organization starting to uh, come together. And uh, another exciting um, headline from the women's hockey side of things over the last little bit has been the announcement that uh, Secret uh, came forward with a $1 million sponsorship for the uh, PWHPA, who are continuing their Dream Gap tour into 2021, uh, thanks in large part to this donation. So that'll be some prize money and I think some salaries for the players as well, which wasn't really on the table previously. So... Um, Um, Really exciting stuff there. And, you know, I think I tweeted when this happened, like, let's go Atlantic Canada. Let's let's get, you know, some Halifax dates on the go here. Um, Obviously, we've got the World Women's Hockey Championship coming up in Halifax in the springtime. Um, I I don't know exactly what's going to happen with this uh, Dream Gap Tour. Uh, There are five markets that the teams are going to be based in. Toronto, Calgary, Montreal, Minnesota, and New Hampshire. So uh, whether they're going to have all of those tournaments in those locales or if they're going to do a little bit of traveling, uh, I guess we'll have to see when more details are announced. But uh, it's great to see, you know, this being funded. And I think think everyone wants to see... um, you know, at some point, uh, one league where all of the best women's players are competing against each other. I, I think that's what, you know, hockey fans want to see. But yeah, in definitely. the meantime, you know, I, I think it's good to be able to enjoy, um, you know, a couple of different options. Too. Any kind of exposure to, to the best athletes in the game is good for the growth of it. So I, I think that the uh, the sponsorship from Secret is outstanding um, just to step up and like you said, some prize money for these girls or these women, I should say. Um, a lot of people don't understand. Like these guys are professional athletes, but not in the same way that you would think of professional athletes traditionally. A lot of them have full time jobs. They don't make a lot of money playing hockey. They really are playing for the love of the game, and it's like there's yeah. just so many talented women out there i just i want to see uh, the women's game become more visible on all levels and and continue to grow so that the, you know we talk about it all the time like me and keith both have daughters uh, we would obviously love to see the the women's game continue to grow so that there's opportunities there for them as they get older and just, you know, visible role models for them in hockey. Yeah, man, the more, the more, you know, that the, the younger generation can see the, the best athletes in the world, you know, hopefully close to home if they can make it here or any, but it doesn't have to be here, just anywhere, you know, inspiring that next generation to, to get out and, and learn the game. Um, like you said, visibility is massively important. And I, I can't wait until we get to that point that there's, there's one, league for for women to play in that that is you know the proper infrastructure is around they're getting paid a fair amount of money and we can enjoy actually watching everybody in one you know under one league best on best perform not yeah that's what you want to see you don't want to to kind of imagine oh you know these two leagues like which which team you know we want to you want to actually see it you don't want to just have to kind of 
you know, use your imagination between the two leagues. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the visibility. It is so important. And um, you, you've seen it in recent years. Obviously, you look at the women's soccer program in the United States and even in Canada to a, a lesser extent. Um, you know, the, the way that, uh, you know, Christine Sinclair has, has inspired so many young girls to, 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 to take up soccer. And, um, you know, you, you hope that we're, we get to that point with, with hockey at some, uh, you know, date in the future where, um, you know, the, the visibility is at the level that it is for, uh, you know, the, the women's national soccer programs or, or even the WNBA, which, uh, I got to say, we got what, like almost all two full episodes in before I mentioned the WNBA, (laughs) my new favorite league, um, which I will find a way to bring up again sometime soon, probably. Big off season, lots of player movement coming in the WNBA, guys. So I'll be uh, I'll be keeping hey, you. We're, we're entering the. We're, I guess they're not they're not the dog days of summer, but we're entering the dog days of the off season. We're going to need content to talk about Cam. So we, we are all, <laughs> all right. years on the WNBA. I'll fire it up. Yeah, I'll, I've got the WNBA insider connection right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so we'll wait to see what the the schedule looks like for that Dream Gap Tour. Of course, a lot of the, uh, I guess you would say the household names, a lot of the players from the Canadian and and American Olympics teams, they would be on uh, this Dream Gap Tour. Um, so you know that that's an ongoing um, you know issue right now in terms of trying to trying to get all of the players kind of under one umbrella. But uh, it's a continue that uh, an issue that continues to be worked on, and it looks like at least for the coming season. Um, you know, we're still going to have two professional entities, I guess you could say, um, in in the women's hockey scene in North America. But uh, excited to keep an eye on that. And like we say, uh, we we hope for something on the East Coast, but uh, we'll continue to look forward to the Women's World uh, Hockey Championship uh, either way. So wanted to move on to uh, Newfoundland Growlers, uh, try to get a little mention in for them each week. Our uh, Atlantic Canadian pro team, uh, we mentioned last week about the ECHL's uh, season start set for uh, December for some of the league and January for the rest of the league. Uh, Newfoundland looking at a January start for the Growlers. Um, Just looking back at the Growlers for last season, um, they had a pretty strong one. They were tops in their division, the North Division, 42-17-1 across the 60 games that they got to play before things were ultimately canceled because of the pandemic. They had clinched a playoff spot as well, but uh, that, of course, got scrubbed. Uh, and they were not able to defend their title because they were the uh, 2019 ECHL champions, winning the Kelly Cup uh, to cap off their inaugural season, which is pretty cool, um, you know, to, to see them have that kind of success. And, uh, you know, again, January start for them. We don't know exactly where that's going to go. Would love to get to a pro game in Newfoundland. It's awesome. I, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I, I just want to. I just want to go to Newfoundland. <laughs> I don't even care. I, uh, hockey would just be a bonus. I had a trip to Newfoundland canceled because of the pandemic as well. So I, I just want to. I just want to go to George Street. Uh, just to go get one of those jerseys. Like the the Growlers branding is some of the best I've seen in hockey at any level it's so good yeah i got one of those growlers hoodies i love the logo i got one of those for christmas their first year and uh just been wearing it out it's 
the best logo going as far as I'm concerned in pro hockey. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Just a couple of Canadian teams in, in the ECHL, right? So are they going to, you know, have to go and, and do like what the Blue Jays did playing out of Buffalo? Uh, the equivalent of that, like go play, you know, somewhere down in New England. Like, I, I don't know what what's going to happen there. And I don't imagine that the league is going to to cater to the two Canadian teams, right? So it's uh, it's hard to say exactly what's what's going to happen this year. And obviously, you know, both the, for this and for, uh, you know, the Dream Gap Tour, like w- what are the gates going to look like with, uh, you know, probably severe limitations on how many people you can let in the rink? Um, it's it's going to be a, an interesting hockey season. So that just about uh, does it for us. As we mentioned, we're going to do kind of a mailbag, for, I think, for, for next episode, at least uh, if we get any questions. Um, it's always... Yeah, ask us, ask us questions. Please like do. When you ask for, ask for somebody to, to send something in and nobody does. Like, don't. I don't want to have to make burner accounts and, you know, post a bunch of fake questions and <laughs> yeah. do the whole thing. Like, just <laughs> ask us some stuff and we'll pretend like we know. <laughs> you can tweet us at LamentingLeafs and uh, the email again is LamentingTheLeafs at gmail.com and uh, we'll, we'll get to those questions on next week's episode. What a, what a sales <laughs> Oh, pick. yeah. What a sales, desperation sales pitch. I love it. Um, but, uh, you know, we're talking a bit about, obviously, the, the situation surrounding the Coyotes and, and talking a bit about women's hockey. You know, we want to feature, um, you know, not your typical hockey stories. We, we're not trying to, uh, you know, uh, round up interviews with assistant GMs or all around the league or anything like that. You know, this is uh, going to be a podcast where we talk about uh, hockey as a whole. And I don't think that, you know, hockey culture in general is something that any of the three of us, um, you know, would would give. Uh, a full stamp of approval, right? It's um, certainly you know, there not, are th- yeah. there are things to be discussed, and uh, we want to do that here when we have the chance. So, um, you know, it's it's the three of us right now. Um, we're going to look into some some guests in the future, but we wanted to kind of establish. Uh, we'll have some interesting people. On. Yeah, we wanted to establish, you know, ourselves, the three of us, our relationship. Um, I didn't talk about myself a whole lot on on episode one, um, Nick. You know, you and I go back a, a long time. We played hockey together growing up. Um, I didn't start playing hockey until I was 13, um, you know, in part because of some of those things we've talked yeah. about. Didn't feel like, you know, super comfortable in a dressing room, even though I'm, you know, a tall, straight, white dude. It's still, I'm, I'm like a, a bit of a nerd. And therefore, <laughs> you know, there's no room for that in a hockey dressing room at times, right? So it's, it's um, you know, I feel like we've... Hey, man, there wasn't any room for the kid with stretchers in his ears either. You know, <laughs> it's just hockey culture as a whole, man. Like, I played my whole life and most of the time I still felt on the outside of it. So it's... I can't imagine the people who have really been been kept at more than an arm's length, and it's it's got to change. And yeah, like you said, we got to we all have to do our part to uh, to voice our, or use our voices to talk about these issues and change the the attitude around the game. And I think that's kind of how you know the three of us came came to find each other a bit too. Like I I, I feel like all three of us hate talking hockey with almost everyone else, right? Pretty and, much. And, oh man, someone tries to talk to me about hockey, it's like <laughs> oh fuck yeah. sakes. <laughs> There's yeah, you guys, you neither one of you guys work in a typical <laughs> like office setting, and I got to be careful because I've told people from my office to listen to this, but. <laughs> It's not always fun. It's not fun. 
<laughs> there's a reason that uh, that our group chat has so many messages in the run of the day because that's probably the only outlet that we have to talk about sports without having to just smile and nod along. Well, our friends on Twitter who are, who have been so gracious as to listen to us, like you guys are the people that I like talking about hockey with. That that's why I'm on Twitter, you guys. So thanks for that <laughs> for shielding me from real life hockey discussions. Yeah, I, I created my Twitter specifically. <laughs> like I had a, I had a, a you know regular Twitter, and then my regular friends were like, "Stop tweeting so much about hockey. <laughs> I'm gonna unfollow you." And I, so I was like, "Okay, I'm just gonna create a hockey account." And I just tweet about the Leafs and kind of got into like you know writing a little bit about prospects. Did a little bit of that for Pension Plan Puppets back in the day, and uh, you know then kind of just use basically twitter to tweet out my thoughts after three beers while watching the leaks um but or better yet everyone should go back and look up uh cam's tweets from when the leafs traded up to draft tyler biggs yeah that was a rough night (laughs) rough night Uh, i was gonna say that's probably a perfect segue into uh what we were gonna talk about here because i actually followed cam on Twitter just from his pension plan puppets days years and years and years ago before even knowing who he is and becoming friends with him. So it's uh, a weird situation, but that's, uh, yeah, well, and you and I knew each other for uh, online for a long time before we met in person too. It ended up being a weird situation. I think it was in 2015 or 2016 at Nova Scotia music week. And, uh, you know, Keith, you're a musician, you were there, um, as you know, uh, backing up, um, someone who, uh, is a friend of yours, a friend of Nick's as well. Her name uh, is Natalie. Uh, she has a band called Loviet. Used to go by Natalie Lynn. Now uh, Loviet is the name of the group. And uh, you know, you were backing uh, Nat up uh, in Truro that weekend, Keith. And um, it was my first time meeting both you and Nat. But I had no idea you were in there, and only kind of had like you know, I, I knew through Nick that Nick and you were in touch quite a bit, and I think we'd been in touch a bit through Twitter. Twitter, but like that this was kind of the first time we were running into each other um and it, it was a it was just a strange situation where nick was also in truro <laughs> but you guys couldn't link up to meet in person and i was like hanging out with story <laughs> yeah i was l- literally like outside the doors like maybe 50 to 100 feet away from keith who i had been friends with online for a number of years to that point and we still hadn't met and i literally didn't have the time to run in and just say hey to this dude who i'd been chatting with for years who just happened to be playing bass in the band with another friend of mine (laughs) because i had to get to another gig i was working for a sound company at the time and like anyone who's been part of you know a provincial music week or something like that knows it's just bananas the whole time but yeah it's just crazy circumstances that that we all end up in that same place at the same time and i didn't actually get a chance to meet keith uh, that time around but cam and keith you guys managed to link up yeah yeah we were sitting in a hotel room and and i don't even know how i put it together that you i think i think how i knew it and you know, was that you, you were, you, you came in to, to have a few beers with us in the hotel, uh, just through some mutual friends. I, you, you had your press pass on for the East coast countdown. And I think I knew that the Carl P Lash guy on Twitter was the guy <laughs> that did the East coast countdown. And I just kind of, kind of took a leap of faith and was like, Hey man, 
pretty sure I've been following you on Twitter for like five years. How many beers did you have to drink before you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, a, a few. <laughs> Enough <laughs> that I barely remember the, the convo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> friendship in a in a post uh, post Twitter world here is. Uh, is and and all and like you know what this is this is the east coast in a nutshell even if you have somewhat like you know uh interests you're probably going to run into a bunch of people um you know you mentioned uh you were backing natalie up for that uh that week keith and um you know that was the first time i was meeting nat as well and nat is a badass like i was i was going into that hotel room like nervous to meet nat who's a few years younger than me and like i've been playing her music for a long time but i was like she's so cool yeah i'm going to be nervous and then you're there on top of it yeah she has she has a presence about her for sure i I like the the story that you tell nick about her walking into your class at nscc she's just you know super talented girl all kinds of confidence in herself rightfully so um yeah i took a, a recording program uh in college a few years ago it was on the first day of class and, you know, the classroom was filling up, you know, same as any other awkward first day of class. Everyone was just kind of sizing each other up and, you know, looking around. The room was full. There was al- almost every seat in the class was full. It's like 30 dudes, you know, anywhere between the age of 20 and 45. And <laughs> Natalie walks into the room like the last student to come in and, you know, just owned it right away basically i don't know like she just she like you said she has a presence she's just super talented she's super smart incredibly confident in herself uh yeah i'm I'm happy to have her as a friend and it was just kind of cool that after all of that and all the years and a couple of missed opportunities for me and keith to actually meet in person when we did end up meeting it was again he was he was playing in natalie's band they came to play a show in our hometown it was during the the playoffs, what, what was it? Twenty eighteen, the twenty eighteen run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the the, fir- the first of the two Boston series. I yeah, think. that's right. And uh, yeah, so Keith was playing bass with Natalie at uh, at a local establishment, at the the, the old, old shadow carriage, carriage house, house. Um, the Cabbage Patch. Shout out Pop Can Dan. Shout out Pop Can Dan. Okay, shout out Big T. So that was the first night that uh, that I finally got to meet Keith after being uh, Twitter friends for a number of years, and it was just kind of cool to have that uh, that connection through through Natalie as well, and to have Cam there, and for all of us to finally get together. And I guess that was kind of the uh, the real genesis of all this. And now here we are. Um, wouldn't have happened without that night in Truro. Got the the. <laughs> The group chat booted up shortly after that, and uh, the rest is history. And um, we're going to wrap up episode two by hearing Natalie's group, uh, Loviet, who just released a new EP back in the summer uh, or just before the summer called uh, Everyone Knows the Thrill When It's Over. And we're going to hear the second of three tracks on that one. It's called The Thrill. This has been episode two of Lamenting the Leafs, and this is Loviet. Uh, Thanks for listening and send us those mailbag questions.
If it makes you realize 